Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. This podcast goes through the books and major sections of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. Starting Points is designed to be a starting or a restarting point to your own personal study of the Word of God. This week, we are going to look at the book of Esther. Now, Esther is an interesting story. If you, uh, if you were with us on Sunday mornings, you know that we started the year looking at the book of Job. And one of the complaints about the book of Job is that it's too supernatural. There's too much insight into what's going on in heaven. One of the complaints, by contrast, for the book of Esther is that there's not enough It's that God is never seen active. He's talked about people pray to God, people encourage each other to trust in God, but we don't ever get a glimpse from the heavenly perspective. We don't see God moving in a forward way in terms of his own agency. It's only human interaction that happens. I appreciate that God gave us two books like that. I appreciate that he gave us a book like Job that gives us incredible insights into the heavenly realm. Same with the book of the Revelation to a lesser extent. Uh, to, to a lesser extent, uh, to uh, you know, books like Isaiah and such. I also appreciate that God gave us a book like Esther, where we see people just trying to do the best they can and serve God the best they can and take what they know to be true and to do the right thing. Now, who wrote the book? We aren't 100% sure. A Jewish tradition, which I, I choose to generally speaking, I accept, uh, says that Mordecai, who's one of the characters in the story, was the primary author of the book. Um, There's other opinions about who it might be, but but it is generally agreed from non-Christian sources that the author was likely somebody who lived in the Medo-Persian Empire from a Jewish background uh, around the time the book claims to, to have been written. So if it wasn't Mordecai, it was certainly somebody that fits the bill of a Mordecai. Now, the basic outline of the book is this. In chapter one, there's this king, and this king is the king of the the Persian Empire, or at least he's a king. I I think what happens is we think of things in terms of a very like Western European medieval kind of view of royalty. There's the king. But in, in many ancient cultures, there were kings, and then there was like the high king. There were kings, and there was the emperor. So there's debate about, you know, was this king real? Uh, because there's no direct historical, uh, com, you know, correlation or comp to him. Uh, I, I'm not sure either way. I know that what happens often is there is historical accounts of somebody, but it's from a different culture's perspective, and they don't bother to give us the translation of, of the name that history knows them by and so on. It's also very possible that this king wasn't the king of the whole empire, just like a regional you know, king. Um, so I'm, I'm open to a lot of different interpretations there. But the big point was that he had this wife, and this wife refused to obey him. He got drunk at a party and he wanted to parade her around and show how, he basically wanted to show how hot he thought she was and show all of his officials, hey, look at how beautiful my wife is. And this guy's a total tool. Uh, there's, there's nothing good about him and how he acts. And then she says, I'm not going to do it. And she takes a big stand. Uh, I'm not going to do it. And so the officials go, hey, uh, King, uh, if you don't do something about your wife, our wives are going to think they can say no to us. Now, they should if you're being a tool. 
your, your, your spouse should 100% say no if you are being an absolute knucklehead, if you are trying to defy you know, the, the ways of God or, or anything else or do things that are unsafe, absolutely. Wives should say no to their husbands if safety is involved, to protect their children if, if something's illegal or immoral. But the king banished his wife, and then he needs a new one. And so they have this sort of beauty contest to choose the, the next queen. And uh, this gal, Esther, is picked out of all the women. And it's not known that she's Jewish. One of the objections critics have to the book of Esther is that no, no Persian or, or Medo-Persian king would have married a commoner or would have married uh, somebody uh, that was, you know, definitely would have married a Jewish woman. The, the indication all through the book is that he does not know. I don't know if they were hiding, if they were passing, if there was a typograph, uh, you know, some kind of clerical error. What was it? People just didn't, who knows? But for whatever reason, he took Esther as his wife. And it was fortunate for the Jewish people that he did because there was this guy, Haman, who was one of these key rulers and ate. Haman super uh, hated the Jews. Anti-Semitic, uh, hated the Jews, and so he has this whole plot to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, comes to her and says, hey, you're the only one who's in a position to speak to the king. And he says these words, you, who knows that God hasn't put you in this position for such a time as this. And so Esther prays and she goes and she goes before the king, even though if he didn't want her there, he could order her killed. And he accepts her presence there's this whole thing where she throws him a party and, uh, and while they're, you know, kind of getting ready for the party, the king can't sleep. And then he finds out that like, you know, Mordecai had actually saved his life a few years earlier. So there's this whole thing where he honors Mordecai and he has Haman who hates the Jews honor Mordecai who was Jewish. And then, uh, you know, there's this whole thing where Esther's like, Hey, why is Haman trying to kill me? And he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm Jewish. And you just signed a law that Haman could kill all the Jews. And so the King's like super distressed. So he leaves. And then Haman basically grabs her and like pleads with her, like, come on, like, don't, don't have me killed. And when the King comes back, he sees Haman basically like grabbing it on top of his wife. So he has him killed on the very gallows that Haman was preparing to kill Mordecai with. And this is where the Jews get the Feast of Purim. This is a feast, by the way, that uh, we're fairly certain just by timing that Jesus observes and celebrates in the Gospels. And so the story of where the Feast of Purim comes from comes from the book of Esther. Now, the human story in this is, is pretty on the nose and obvious. There's women's rights, women empowerment, uh, persecution of minorities, racism, anti-Semitism. And our need for deliverance, our need for someone to save us, being put in a position where we can act, but will we have the courage to do what is right, even if it could mean our death? But there's also a bunch of landmines. Women are treated terribly in this book. And some have seen this as some sort of biblical seal of approval, and it's not. There's things in the Bible that are descriptive, they're describing what happened. There's things in the Bible that are prescriptive. This is how it should happen. The way women are treated in this book is descriptive. It's how it happened. It's not that it's how we should treat women. It's how it was that they were treated. Now, there are those who say, you know what? This whole book is just Jewish propaganda. And I'm not going to say that that's not totally true or it's not untrue. 
there's probably an element of that. When the book was written, the purpose it was written, why it was accepted into the Jewish canon of Scripture, there's a certain amount of propaganda. Hey, this is what God has delivered us from. God has taken us and saved us from our enemies. Uh, You know what? We were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years, but now we're back in the land. We're rebuilding Jerusalem. We're rebuilding the temple. And see, the hand of God is back on us. That doesn't make it untrue. Now, the other landmine is, is it historically accurate or inaccurate? My personal feeling, and, and you can agree or disagree, I'm not going to fight you on this one, is that it probably is, generally speaking, historically accurate in the way that they would have understood it in their day and in their culture. It might not be 100% historically accurate in the way that we think of those things in ours. But knowing that There are major places in the Bible where Egyptian kings, Babylonian rulers, Assyrian rulers, even the Jews' own kings are described elsewhere by different names and and how history worked back then. Just because we don't have an easy time saying that this is true, it doesn't mean it's untrue. And there's so many places where critics have said, hey, you know what? The Bible is historically inaccurate. And then the Bible's been proven true that I'm going to go with, you know what, the odds are that it is historically accurate. Now, like I said earlier, it's the one book of the Bible where God is only referenced but never seen as active. And we always end our times together by asking, where is Jesus seen? It's not that Jesus is unseen. And even if he is unseen, it doesn't follow that he's inactive. There's, There's some things about this to think about. What if God is working behind the scenes, putting Esther in place, putting Mordecai in place to save the king's life a few years earlier, all these things that were going on? What if, uh, you know, you could see in in terms of like a proto-Holocaust, because that's what Haman was trying to do. He was like a proto-Hitler trying to destroy the Jews. And we know that the devil wasn't dumb. He knew that God's plan was to bring the Messiah, the Savior, from the Jews and specifically from the line of David. And so he's doing everything he can to destroy them and to wipe them out. And certainly you can see that there's this, uh, you know, where's Jesus? His coming was, was highly threatened by the events of this story. The book of Esther is a fantastic book. You know, we just did an episode about, you know, which of the books of the Bible to read first and whatever. I would highly recommend putting the book of Esther on your to-read list. I think it's fantastic. I think it's worthwhile. I think it very, very much speaks to us in our day. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points Podcast. You can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Music. You just have to search Faith on Hill. The video versions are also on our Facebook page. Sunday mornings, we have a live stream at faithonhill.com and in-person services at 10.30 a.m. My name's Adam. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. Starting Points.